really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby, as always. I'm your host, my name is David Lawrence, I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, for now, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So I'm actually already behind by a full week for the FPC down in New Zealand. So let's get on with the show. So starting with our current updates, as you probably noticed, this episode marks the beginning of season three. I can't even believe it. We did a massive four guest show to commemorate the second straight year of weekly episodes just last weekend. If you haven't listened to that one yet, I highly recommend it. It might be my all time favorite in any event. As you just noticed, we're going to add a little one minute ad spot this year right at the beginning to sort of just in an effort to keep the lights on, as they say, um, if you're a regular, you know what? please consider becoming a monthly supporter or simply by giving us a one-time donation through buy me a coffee. Both of those options are listed in the show notes. As always, it is a ton of fun doing the show each and every week, but it's also a ton of work. So if you would consider showing your support, I would be hugely grateful. Either way, thanks so much for continuing to listen. Let's get stuck in to season three. Well, Isa, I'm not sure if it's good or bad news, but there was definitely a little bit of news this week. Um, quoting here from a piece I found from Planet Rugby, quote, following the news that Ireland will be without Captain Johnny Sexton for their three Rugby World Cup warm-up matches, we decided to take a look at who could take advantage of his absence. Andy Farrell's men take on Italy and England at home in August before heading to France to face Samoa in Bayonne. Given that Sexton has not played since March, Farrell would have given him plenty of game time over those three matches. His unavailability is therefore a blow for him and the team, but it does present Ross Byrne, Jack Crowley, and Kieran Frawley with more of an opportunity to prove their worth to the head coach. We delve into those three players and what they can do leading up to the final squad announcement to press their claims. So Ross Byrne, at the moment, the fly half is the obvious backup, having stepped in well whenever Sexton came off injured during their Grand Slam success. However, Byrne is perhaps under the most pressure, given that he is in the best shape to go. That's a little bit weird. Uh, in 2019, the Leinster man was on course to head to Japan, only to put in an abysmal display against England at Twickenham in a 57-15 to defeat. That would cost him a place on the plane, and Byrne will hope to avoid that fate for a second time. There has been no official announcement as to when the finalized World Cup squad will be announced, but we imagine it'll be between the England and Samoa games. Given that the former is the biggest test of the three warm-ups, Farrell may want to give him that match as preparation for what could happen should Sexton go down during the global tournament. So Jack Crowley, the Munster playmaker, enjoyed a fine end to the campaign with his province, playing a key role in their run to the United Rugby Championship title. At the moment, he's behind Byrne, and then uh, the next four-year cycle could be when he truly steps up at the international level, but he now has a chance to progress up the ranks even quicker. Uh, Ireland's encounter with Italy would be the ideal opportunity to give Crowley a start to see whether he has what it takes to direct a team around the field in the test arena. The 23-year-old, wow, he's only 23, showed both his class and versatility as Munster lifted URC silverware, starting at 10 in the quarterfinal and final, and then at 12 during the semifinal. 
Um, that will stand him in good stead ahead of the squad selection, but obviously he still needs to perform on the field. However, this is an opportunity for Crowley rather than a burden. So it won't be surprised to see him thrive in this environment. And then Kieran Frawley, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, like Crowley, versatility is also something which Frawley brings, able to play fly half, center, and even fullback when necessary. The 25-year-old rarely lets you down. However, he has not played a whole lot of rugby this season, starting just five games in 2022 and 2023, which includes just one, each at 10 and 12. Without Sexton being banned, Frawley was the likeliest to be axed from the final 33, but you'll probably get some game time in the first two warm-up matches. Will that be enough to get him to France? We're not so sure but at least he may get a proper opportunity to put his hand up. So quite understandably, many observers are not exactly happy with the length of Sexton's suspension, believing that it should be longer, but it still impacts significantly on Ireland's preparations. By the time of their World Cup opener against Romania, the fly half would not have played for just about six months. Given his lack of game time, we can't see anything other than the playmaker starting that match and easing his way back following his long layoff. It's almost the ideal encounter to bring the 38-year-old up to speed as there are much bigger challenges lying in wait. That could come against Tonga on September 16th, who have a plethora of former All Blacks in their ranks. Once again, uh, once again, Sexton will need some minutes under his belt, but it wouldn't be a surprise should the fly half be on the bench for the clash against these Pacific Islanders. Then comes the true test of his and Ireland's capabilities when they face the defending champions, the Springboks. It is not a lot of time for Sexton to be match fit, but... He'll need to be at his best if the Irish are to continue to be World Cup challengers, unquote. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are actually on the top 14, which incredibly gets back into gear in just a few weeks. It seems mind-boggling. This season, we'll see a massive influx of talented players from all over the world. And I found a cool little article detailing uh, a series of these moves, in fact. So quoting here from RugbyPass.com, quote, as the upcoming Top 14 season looms on the horizon, an impressive influx of new talent from various rugby union competitions around the globe will descend on the moneyed French league. From seasoned international stars to promising young prospects, the league is set to witness a host of marquee players making the, le the leap to cash-rich French clubs. So uh, in the article, by the way, they actually did a full like 1 through 23 for this. So if you want to check out the entire article, I, I would recommend it. And of course, it's linked to the show notes as always. But I decided to just pick, you know, some some of these players out who caught my eye in particular for our purposes here. So for instance, we start off with Sam Whitelock. One of New Zealand's most iconic players, Locke, Sam Whitelock, will join his brother Luke when he moves to Poe from the Crusaders, bringing his leadership and experience to the top 14. Of course, he has the small matter of Rugby World Cup to compete in first. Then we've got Pete Samu. He's going to Bordeaux Beg from the Brumbies. He's a dynamic back rower, and he's going to make the switch from Australia to France. The Wallabies loose, uh, loose forward will bring a ton of experience to the West Coast Club. Sia Khaleesi, of course, is making a big move. Bach hero Sia Khaleesi will depart the Sharks to join Racing 92 after the completion of the Rugby World Cup. We've got Brad Weber, another big name. All Blacks scrum half Brad Weber will make the transition from the Chiefs to Stade Francais, bringing his quick decision-making and playmaking abilities. We've got Lester Fainga Anuku, young and promising wing. Uh, Lester Fainga Anuku will lead the Crusaders to join Toulon, hoping to showcase his electrifying pace, power, and try-scoring ability in France. A big loss for New Zealand rugby. Yeah, couldn't agree more. We've got Jack Goodhue, of course. On the margins of the New Zealand setup these days, center Jack Goodhue opted to venture from the Crusaders to cast, adding his robust defense, creative play, and occasional mullet to the top 14. We've got Joe Marchant. How good was he last year? 
English center Joe Marchant will move from Harlequins to Stade Francais, bringing his speed and evasive running to the French club. He previously enjoyed a super rugby stint with the Blues, but having failed to convince England selectors, he has opted to swip, uh, swap the English capital for the French one. We've also got Jack Knoll, of course. England wing Jack Knoll will join La Rochelle from Exeter Chiefs. Another player who maybe lost his grip on an England shirt largely due to injuries, Noel declared he would not be available for England's Rugby World Cup campaign, effectively ending his test career. We've also got Reese Hodge, uh, Australian <laughs> Mr. Fix-It. Reese Hodge will make the switch from the Rebels to Bayonne, providing the French club with his strong kicking game and a versatility few players can boast. We've also got um, Falao Fainga'a, he's uh, the Wallabies hooker, of course, is going to leave the Western Force. He only signed with with them for one year, so it was nobody's surprise. But he will be joining Claremont this year. Sam Simmons, of course, the English back row sensation known for his explosive pace and try-scoring prowess, is set to embark in a thrilling journey with Montpellier, leaving a trail of anticipation and excitement in his wake. And, of course, we've got Noah Lolasio, uh, another low-knee Brumbies fly half. Noah Lolasio will join Toulon after being snubbed by Wallabies head coach Eddie Jones. He'll be aiming to hone his game management and become a key playmaker for the French club. So as I said, there are many, many more. You know, Definitely give that article a look and see if you agree with the match day 23. Okay, that of course brings us to our reviews. And you know what? The boringly named rugby championship had round two last weekend. And for me, it was... It was pretty amazing. So we began with an epic clash between the All Blacks and the Springboks. It was just unbelievable. Quoting here, quote, the All Blacks started superbly and despite a Springbok comeback, held on for a solid win in Auckland. Tries to Aaron Smith and Shannon Frizzell combined with the deadly boot of goal kicker Richie Moanga rocketed the All Blacks to a dream start. And then inevitably, the Springboks rushed back. There was nothing fancy with what the visitors served up and no one should have been surprised, especially not the All Blacks. Springbok coach Jacques Ninebar, I've heard his name pronounced so many different ways, so I apologize if I just smashed it. Um, he lamented his team's hesitant start in the Castle Lager Rugby Championship test that paved the way to a 35-20 defeat in Auckland. The Springboks conceded 17 points in the first 15 minutes, and although they edged the scoreboard in the second half, 17-15, they had left too much to do to record a third match undefeated in New Zealand. Quote, the start wasn't ideal for us, unquote, said Ninaber ruefully. Quote, I felt we struggled to get into the game because of poor discipline, four consecutive penalties, and a lot of mistakes compounded by four or five missed tackles. And against a quality side like New Zealand, they will capitalize on that. They did that, and we played catch up for the rest of the game. We can't start like that with penalties and errors, probably some of them unforced and some from the pressure exerted on us. And if you're going to play catch up, it's going to get tough to get a foothold. Having said that, I'm proud of the way we came back. We scored 17 points in the second half, but unfortunately, the damage was done in the first half, unquote. Final score in this one was 35-20, to 20, and if you haven't seen Squidge's breakdown of it yet, get yourself to YouTube, pronto. So then, Los Pumas descended upon Sydney to face the Wallabies. It was another crusher for the Australians. So again, quoting here, and both of these reviews are linked in the show notes, of course, quote, in a wild finish, the hosts fought back from a 10-point deficit to almost pull off a remarkable victory. In the end, poor discipline came back to haunt the Wallabies as, with the score 14-10, to 10, Michael Cech's side launched one final attack 
And number eight, Juan Martin Gonzalez proved to be the hero. The number eight dived over from short, and whilst the Wallabies thought they had held him up, the TMO found Gonzalez had dotted it down to break the hearts of Wallabies fans. Quote, we're all really disappointed, mate. We put a lot into that. Unquote, Coach Eddie Jones said, you have no idea how hard it was for me to not do the accent right there, but you're welcome. So the Wallabies replicated their strong start from last week as Len Ikitao barged over the line inside five minutes. However, the incident, the incident left the center clutching at his shoulder, forced from the field in the 20th minute. Ikitao went to the hospital just after the second half for scans with the severity to be confirmed. By the way, update. Yeah, it's 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 bad. Um, so despite this, the hosts opened up a 10 to nothing lead off the back of a strong start from Will Skelton and the forward pack before Argentina worked their way into the contest. They camped inside the Wallabies half, forcing them to make over 80 tackles in the first 40 minutes. Dave Parecki and Alan Alatoa were among four Wallabies to uh, to record double-digit tackles in the first half as the Pumas wore them down. Argentina's relenting pressure... It should be unrelenting pressure. Eventually delivered them points through center. Geronimo De La Fuente... What a name. To level it up, replacement Carter Gordon nearly produced a magic try, scooping up a loose ball and racing away, only to be caught by uh, Lucio Sinti 15 meters out. Michael Cheka's side continued to press the Wallabies line, leading to the yellow carding of Richie Arnold just before the break. That allowed the Pumas to pick up where they had left off, and whilst Tom Wright and Quade Cooper were somehow able to hold Rodrigo Isgro up, they couldn't stop Captain Julian Montoya. Needing a spark, Nick White stepped up and caught Argentina napping at scrum time to level it back up. Emiliano Buffelli's long-range penalty put Argentina back in front, and Mateo Carreras' late try looked to have secured the win. The Wallabies refused to die, however, and got some great impact off the bench from the likes of Angus Bell and Rob uh, Leota. It took their international star stars to set up the grandstand finish as Quade Cooper found Samu Karevi. Argentina had one final chance to attack the Australian line when Cooper was pinged for a late tackle and made it count. As the Wallabies looked to hold them out, number eight Gonzalez dove over the top and found the line. The host protested, believing he was held up. However, referee Jakob Piper ruled he got the ball to the ground, sealing the emotional three-point win for the Pumas. Quote, to sum it up, gutted is the word that comes to mind, unquote, said Captain James Slipper after the match. Final score in Sydney for this one, 31 to 34. So again, sticking with last weekend, it was, of course, the conclusion of the Pacific Four Series. Oh man, I enjoyed this competition so much last year. This year didn't get to watch as much, and you know what? It was not a good showing for the U.S. At least the Black Ferns, of course, they went undefeated, shutting out Australia nil to fifty. Then they beat a plucky Canada team twenty-one to fifty-two, and for me most agonizingly went on to beat a USA team that had started very strong and even led five to 14 at halftime. It was in fact five to 17, just minutes into the second half, but the three quarter mark saw the New Zealand, uh, saw New Zealand take their first lead. And then they went on a bit of a rampage. I mean, our depth just isn't there for us right now. In the end, it was a pretty big 39 to 17. Ouch. So the USA lost all three matches this year, 50 to 17 against Canada, 58 to 17 against Australia, and then the New Zealand result I just mentioned. Canada were the only team besides the Blackferns to win more than one, beating us and the Aussies 45 to seven. And we were the only team that Australia could beat. I love this series, but this one, I don't know, it was tough. It's just a fact that we're overmatched in that group these days. I hope the USA finds some way to inject some professionalism, obviously some money, uh, or I don't know, maybe we all just need to move like 100 miles north.
Okay, getting back to this weekend. This weekend was also round two of the Farrah Palmer Cup. For those of you new to this competition, here's just a, a tiny bit of big, uh, background for you. So, quote, in 2016, the Women's Provincial Championship was renamed the Farrah Palmer Cup in recognition of one of the most iconic figures in women's rugby. Farrah Palmer is a global women's rugby icon, having played 35 test matches for the Black Ferns and represented Otago, Waikato, and Manawatu at provincial level. In 2014, Palmer was inducted into the World Rugby Hall of Fame. The league is split into the Premiership and Championship divisions. But how they decided on their fixture lists is beyond human comprehension, at least for this human. Um, the top division includes Waikato Women, Canterbury Women, Hawks Bay Tui, Auckland Storm, Wellington Pride, Counties Monaco Heat, and Bay of Plenty Volcanics, while the lower tier features Manawatu Cyclones, North Harbour Hibiscus, Northland Women, Otago Spirit, Taranaki Women, and Tasman Women. So just quickly going back to round one, we kicked off this new season. With Hawks Bay Tui versus the Auckland Storm, things got started on a gorgeous day on the east coast of the North Island. Both teams looked a tad rusty. We actually saw a yellow card before we saw any scoring. Um, the exciting Hawks Bay scrum half got her team on the board first, and we were well and truly underway for the FPC. It was a great contest. It was 15 to 17 at halftime, and with under five minutes left, it was a one-point game. What a way to start the season. As the clock wound towards 80, it was Auckland lining up a kick to potentially steal a win after trailing the entire way, but it went just awry, allowing the hosts to hold on for an exciting win, 32 to 31. Woo! After that, it was Canterbury Women versus the Wellington Pride. But in classic blow rugby style, the replay was, you guessed it, the match we just watched. Oy vey already. So Canterbury did go on to win. I later discovered doubling up their guests, 58 to 29. Um, Bay of Plenty Volcanics versus Waikato Women was next. And this time, it was the actual match listed, but it started several minutes into the contest. Um, so we were batting one for three in this first round, or in this round, I guess. Uh, so this one ended up being a blowout, though. Waikato racking up a half century in a shutout. It looked very strong in so doing. So that closed out round one. And for round two, we had six fixtures instead of the four from the previous week. So as I said, I'm, I'm a bit baffled by the scheduling. Uh, if you understand any of the reasoning behind this, you know, do me a favor and get in touch to explain it to me. I could really use it. So this weekend. Started us off with Waikato women versus the Canterbury women at St. Paul's Collegiate. This was set to be a much tougher test for both of these teams. Canterbury having won this competition a whopping five times. I think this was the first time I've seen a match at St. Paul's. And it, it was, you know, a perfect day on a gorgeous campus. Really enjoyed all the atmosphere. Even had a nice mascot sighting as Mulu was out making the rounds. <laughs> Very cute moment during the halftime break when they got a shot of Mulu offering a little girl a high five. And then sort of realizing that she didn't want a high five. She wanted a hug, <laughs> a nice sort of spontaneously sweet moment caught on camera for that. So the game itself, of course, very intense and even. The score was 10 to 12 at halftime. And entering the final quarter, it was still just a two-point contest. Canterbury, they found some separation with a corner try. But as the clock hit 80, Waikato answered, we would have our first so-called golden point of the season. Four minutes into the extra time, Waikato got a shot right in front. They chipped it over easily to secure another win over one of their biggest adversaries, 27 to 24 in this one. Great stuff. Next up, it was County's Monaco Heat versus the Bay of Plenty Volcanics from Navigation Homes Stadium, apparently, where Bay of Plenty's, let's face it, their woes continued, finding themselves shut out for 
the third consecutive half. It was 29 to nil at the break. They wouldn't actually get their first points of the season until the 75th minute. By the end, it was a massive 51 to five, and all signs point to a very tough year for Bay of Plenty. Then still on Saturday, we had Tasman women hosting Otago Spirit at Trafalgar Park. The host scored first, but Otago took back the lead and held it for most of the first half with a score 13 to 15 at the break. With a quarter hour to play, Tasman were again on top 25 to 20, but the lead would seesaw at least three more times. Otago finding a six point edge with less than two minutes to go. A really nice contest, this one. After the clock went red, it was a yellow card against the visitors to tee up the Tasman women for a comeback win, but was not to be the ball going out and the ref blowing the double whistle 28 to 34 the score when all was said and done on sunday we had taranaki women versus manawatu cyclones at yarrow stadium this one whoo it was an absolute top to bottom blowout taranaki were already on a nine game losing streak from last season and they'll have to wait at least another week to change that as they were shut out at home zero to <clears throat> 84 man oh man so next it was the battle for the north with north harbor hibiscus hosting the northland women this one at the tastefully named windsor park and scoring was much harder to come by in this one harbor leading seven to five at halftime before appearing to sort of run out of gas over the course of the second period by the end it was a nice road win uh, for the women in baby blue it was seven to 24 the final score in that one and then finally we saw a big city clash with wellington pride taking on Auckland Storm at the Hut Recreation Ground. And, you know, as a Star Wars nerd, how happy was I to learn that there's a recreation ground for huts? I mean, sports is a great way to keep people and huts alike away from crime and drug. Okay, anywho, it was a gray and super rainy day on this one. That didn't keep away a nice crowd, though. And it was the visitors getting on the board first in the 13th minute. Wellington, they tied it up right at the break and then went up early in the second half, but with the clock already red, Auckland tied it up, and it was Sophie Fisher with a conversion attempt to seal a victory. Through it went, grabbing the win on the road, 15-17, to 17, to finish off the round. Great stuff in the FBC. So jumping back to here in the States for the Premier Rugby Sevens competition, you know, the second season, I think it's the second season, it might actually be the third. I only caught it for the first time last year, but... This year has been at least as enjoyable as last year, probably more so with the imported firepower of the likes of Stacey Waka and Ruby Tui. But I admit I regret not covering the earlier stages because this season is breathtakingly short. The entire season consists of the Eastern Conference kickoff, then the Western Conference kickoff, then the Western Conference finals. And this weekend, it was the Eastern Conference finals from Pittsburgh, PA. It was awesome to hear Dallin Stanford, friend of the pod, and frankly, me, calling the shots from the booth for his favorite sport. The guy is a legend. So I tuned into the YouTube broadcast on Sunday evening, which brought us the final four games before the whole thing wraps up in a couple weeks in Washington, D.C. for the finals. It's a lovely venue, by the way, in Pittsburgh, um, right on the river. The action, of course, was electric, as always. My biggest takeaways were, holy crap, is Sammy Sullivan good? I, I can't believe I've so badly dropped the ball getting her on here. More on that soon, I promise. The other thing was seeing Stacey Walker get yellow carded. I don't know how many times that's happened, but it can't be a lot. She she was genuinely shocked, if you believe the look she gave. Um, it was very cool because we happened to be watching this with my son. I've kind of realized getting him to like sevens might be the gateway to the 15s. Um, when she got sent off, he said, why is she smiling? And of course I said, she's always smiling. She's absolutely loving life. And he said, oh, that's cool. 
So uh, there were, of course, some lovely bits, especially from Alessio Naduva, who got a hat trick while squandering at least one other easy shot. Like he was just playing a different game than everybody else. He, he kind of looked superhuman out there. He had to have been the player of the weekend. Just ridiculous stuff. But every team that played showed some really good stuff, like the athleticism that's on display. I mean, it's extraordinary in this comp. Uh, well done to the PR7s. And with that, we are two weeks away. August 6th is the finals. I love that 7s is gaining momentum here at home. It's it's just good for everything. Um, this league is doing a lot of things right. All props to Owen Scannell. And congrats on the job you're doing. It's really gaining some hype, and rightly so. Stay tuned for more as we approach the final. music of course you'll know it's time for this week's diamond in the ruck award and this week the award goes to sophie fisher miss fisher i'm afraid i know precious little about you as the official fpvc website doesn't actually offer stats or recaps really of any kind but it was you who stood up in the bucketing rain with the clock well into the red and iced the match for your despite being down and playing with only 13 players with just about 11 minutes to go you helped rally your side and secure them their 29th victory out of the last 30 against wellington sophie fisher congratulations to you for you are this week's diamond in the ruck well done Okay, that of course brings us to our updates and previews for next week. Next weekend, the boringly named Rugby Championship wraps up its highly condensed format for this year with Australia in Melbourne uh, for visiting New Zealand. South Africa are back in Joburg to host Argentina. There will be some other international action as well, as Samoa will be hosting Fiji on Friday. Scotland will be taking on Italy on Saturday. Earlier that morning, Japan faced Tonga. Later in the afternoon, it'll be Namibia as nominal hosts to face an Argentina, uh, Argentina 15, followed immediately by Uruguay versus Chile. That could be really interesting. What a cool pair of games, that one. Meanwhile, it will be round three in the FPC, which means Canterbury women versus Bay of Plenty of Volcanics, the Tasman women versus the North Harbor Hibiscus, Otago Spirit will host the Taranaki women, and Hawks Bay Tui versus Waikato women. All those will be on Friday. And then, of course, it's Manawatu Cyclones versus Northland and Wellington Pride versus, versus Counties Monaco Heia on Saturday. You know what? If you know where to look, you will always find plenty of good rugby. Whew. Well, my friends... That does it for another week. I am already getting super excited for the NPC to kick off. So Mike Rogers, the lead assistant for the Free Jacks this year, he's down in Manawatu getting his turbos ready for the season, and he has brought a raft of Free Jacks with him. It's going to be just such a great bit of experience for them. Mike has agreed to do a preview show with me for the NPC, so stay tuned for that one, of course. In the meantime, to all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon, and be well.